This Agile Life, episode 145. Chaotic and confusing. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. I'm Craig Buchak. I'm Amos King. And I'm Lee McCauley. And I'm John Sextro. And we're back here with This Agile Life. Hello, everybody. Sorry we've been gone for a while. Life happens. It's hard to hard to make the recording happen consistently. We need to work on our a sustainable pace, as Mr. Tice would point out. Of course, he can't be with us. He's uh he's not working on his sustainable pace. He's out of town, I think, in uh on the West Coast somewhere. But tonight we're gonna be talking about a topic that uh is near and dear, I guess, to Craig's heart. It's his topic. He wanted to talk. He loves scaled agile, Amos, oh. and he <laughs> so he wanted to talk about scaled agile tonight. Uh, do, do you have to pay a licensing fee in order to be able to talk about it? I think I think so. Uh, <laughs> I, well, we didn't say framework, so we might be okay. Oh, okay. As long as we don't say scaled agile and then framework at the same time, I think we're okay. It's like you can't say bowl and super. Uh uh-huh, Exactly. Yeah. But you yeah. can say superb owl, so that's okay. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, I'm not a big fan of scaled, scaled Agile, um, but I kind of want to talk about how to tell, like, coming into it, if it's going to work or not. Like, if you're in the trenches and, and they're trying to roll out Scaled Agile, like, is, is there a way to tell if it's going to work or not, be successful or not, or or is it even Agile or not? Um, and so I've kind of noticed this this sort of anti-pattern and then sort of a a uh, a pattern that's uh opposed to that. So a couple questions um is it is it trying to apply the agile principles to an expanded realm like okay, you know, the developers are doing their agile stuff and it's going good, so let's try to apply that to, you know, outside the developers. Um and so I guess my question is it is that that seems to be a, a sign that things are going to go well when, like, okay, these agile principles seem to work. We're going to apply them somewhere else. Um, but what I see don't work is, hey, remember those agile principles? Forget all that. We're going to, like, um, try to force these other things on you that make you less agile, and we're going to call it scaled agile. That makes sense? Yeah, sure. That That sounds like an anti-pattern right off the bat. It's like throw away all the good engineering practices and the things that had been working for you and then replace them with all different things, brand new things. What? I don't, I, so, I've never, I've never, um, I, I've never done that where you throw things away in, in favor of something else. Yeah. So the thing I've seen most recently is um, they actually stopped and did a planning week. Um, which is a little weird and a little long, and planned out an entire quarter and tried to get us to, to estimate um, how long or, or how much we could get done in a quarter. And I'm like, man, that is, we're really bad at estimating a week, much less a quarter. That's, yeah, that's, that's a long time. Really, that's really pretty awful. Um, so I, you know, I pushed back a little bit and, and I heard from a different manager that. Um, they're willing to trade some speed 
for some predictability, which which is fine, except A, they didn't tell us that. <laughs> and B, I don't I don't know if they're gonna get that predictability. Um but, you know, time time will tell as far as that goes. Um what are, what have you guys seen? Have you guys seen much scaled agile or attempted scaling agile or Amos, um, did you have something you wanted to comment on? Uh it it was I was gonna ask whenever you talked about throwing everything away. Uh, do you mean like, hey, everything that you're currently doing, we're going to wholesale replace in like one day? No, no, no. Um, I mean, in some ways, the developers are kind of carrying on as they always have and and trying to, to to apply the principles and and uh, practices as well as we we can and as well as we always have. But but it feels like you know this this pressure from above is pushing us away from doing those good things instead of towards doing those good things. So where does that guys, pressure come from? Like why, why are they applying that pressure? What makes them want to change from up above? Uh, I think predictability is, is the big part, at least the, the part that they've told us about. Um, another thing is uh, dependencies between teams. They are trying to, you know, if we're going to have a dependency on another team, it's good to know about that. You know, um, a month before that other team needs to write something for us instead of, you know, a month after, which is frequently the case. Yeah, that was I was sort of interested in, I guess, asking you a similar a similar set of questions like what, you know, wh- why, why, why did they want to make a change from the old way to the new way? So you're saying they want to try and get some more predictability. Um, they're willing to they're willing to exchange speed for that predictability. And they want to deal with cross-team interdependencies, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Typically, those are the those are the basic reasons or the the prevailing reasons that people most often go to a scaled agile setup, some sort of a large scale Scrum, you know, something like that. Is that they 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 feeling all this pain from cross-team interdependencies, and and they I, I think they think that they can get some of that predictability. Yeah. So 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 I I asked the question and I said, okay, we're really bad at this predicting in, in one week intervals. Um, what makes you think we're gonna, you know, predict a thirteen week interval? Um and, and the answer was, Well, you'll get better at it. I'm like, I've been doing this for twenty five years and I have never seen anyone get good at it. <laughs> um I, I think a lot of it is is that the, the company is growing really quickly. And, you know, you get to certain points and you have to restructure the way you work. Um, and they did bring someone on a, a new, um, I think, engineering manager, vice president of engineering or something. And, and, and he's kind of pushing things on uh, down, down to the development teams and, and project managers and, and uh, I guess uh, some of the product folks that are affected as well. So are there technical reasons? Uh, technical things that create these dependencies, or can you t- can you just tell us a little bit more about about the the environment and and maybe try to explain to us, you know, projecting yourself maybe into the shoes of this vice president of engineering. What is it about the way that things are organized that caused them to make this decision, choose this option rather than other options that are available? Uh, I'm not real sure. There hasn't been much transparency and like we didn't get any training or even get told much of what was going on, which, you know, that's uh, another, another sign of anti-agility, right? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just asking of, you to top down. 
downtown communication. <laughs> I'm, I'm just asking you to try and put yourself in um, the shoes of this yeah. person and, and and imagine why he might have done it, just as a hypothetical, because we're never going to know the all the backstory. Right, right. Well, he's he's new to the company, and and uh, you know, you're new to the company. You're going to try to use what's worked at previous places, but you know that. But tell me uh, what's uh, wrong. What's wrong? Why? Why? Um, you know, don't fix it if it ain't broken, is the old saying. So what's yeah. broken? Um. We have a lot of uh, the business folks coming to the development folks um, and asking us for things sort of in a willy-nilly way. Um, and that, that kind of makes a lot of sense, actually, to um, make sure that it's more organized and that those things are sort of known ahead of time as far as we can. Um, we, we, re- we like to respond to change, even late in... Development. Uh, yeah, it doesn't mean. Well, um, I've seen a few things recently that says even if your plans aren't going, you know, even if you know things aren't going to go to plan, it, it it doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan. And and I don't have a problem with some of that planning, but to have the developers, you know, try to get every story in for thirteen weeks and try to estimate those thirteen stories doesn't seem to be very worthwhile. Well, because by the time you get to week ten. Um, things have changed so much that that estimate probably isn't valid, and and um, a lot of times the stories aren't valid. Or you've been e- even with this plan, and we you get moved off onto something more important. I'd maybe like to hear from Lee on this, and it sounds awfully heavy-handed to me to say we're going to do scaled agile because we don't want business people going to the development teams and giving them work to do. Am I well, crazy, <laughs> Lee? Let Let's hear what Lee has to say. Yeah, you're definitely not crazy. Um, the, At least not on this topic. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the wrong the wrong solution for the problem stated. Um, yeah, it seems it seems like it seems like they're the new uh, vice president is really just wanting to do stuff that they're familiar with and make changes and and therefore kind of cement their. Um, the the need for them getting the job in the first place, uh, so I it may be one of those kind of deals. I don't know, because um, I was asking, I was thinking the same thing that John was. Is okay. So what's the what's the bad outcome here that is that is causing them to to need to do this? Um, yeah, Craig. Are there? I mean, are there other problems? Um. I mean, it's it's not necessarily that the the business units come to the developers, or you know, um, we have we have processes through that for that. But it's it's more like they're not organized in what their what their needs and requirements and so, desires are. So friggin' and, and, organize it. You don't need yeah, scaled yeah. agile to do that. I I I feel like that. Yeah, it probably needs to be a more um a maybe BA. more rigorous pro, pro, uh, process for. For, for getting the work in. Yeah, where's the product um, owner in all of this? Well, I mean, it's a big organization, so there are a lot of product owners. Yeah. Um, but Well, there's, I, there's your first problem. <laughs> well, no, but there's a lot of product, too. Well, I mean, there's, there's, well, but also, do the, how do the, you know, we have microservices, unfortunately, and, and sometimes <laughs> those are chosen poorly, or, you know, they're just designed the way the organization is. Are they mirror the, the organizational structure? Um, so, and we have problems with that. Um, 
and 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 a lot of that is um well the the most recent example was we had um someone wrote basically our dependency for us we didn't even know we were going to have to work with that and then we get dumped this api um and we're like well how did you design an api without an api client we're like that seems really bizarre um, that sounds like so horizontal a lot of slicing of work too I mean, if one group is writing an API that another group is then consuming, why don't well, maybe you should be organized into like feature teams where it's like we we own a complete feature from the front end through any middle tier layers all the way to the back end. Why why is somebody else creating an API for you? Well, it's a it's a micro you know a microservices though. That's per, that's a perfect setup for you to write the microservice yourself. Uh, uh, well, unfortunately, they're not that micro. And there are there are a lot of interdependencies that, that do make sense actually. Um so I and I don't think we can get rid of a lot of those dependencies, but we do need to learn how to um uh smooth them over for sure and smooth over the way the different teams work. So so what do you see as as the ideal change to to get what upper management's after? Um I mean, in some ways, one of my definitions of Agile is dealing with reality as it is stands, not trying to pretend it doesn't exist. And, and, and a lot of this just seems to be pretending that we can, you know, fit a square peg in a round hole um, when we really need to embrace, you know, hey, we, we can't, this isn't going to fit. Um, we need to, to, to admit that it's not going to fit and just work with that. Um, we have to admit that, you know, we can't have very good predictability on, on software, um, uh, development times or, uh, a lot of those things, or we can't have perfect communication, right? So we need to deal with that instead of pretending that, that it's not a problem. So how does scaled agile kind of come into this? Because I, you could have just, you could have completely ignored the term scaled agile and still had this kind of uh, complaint about your upper management. Um, what about scaled Agile is being used here as uh, part of this process? Um, definitely the, the I believe they called it a program increment. Basically, we stopped a whole week and we, we talked about what we're going to do for the next quarter. Um, and then we kind of shared it between teams. Um, that, that definitely was, you know, pushed on us as, Hey, you're going to do this. Um, what was it bad? Um, it was really bad for remote workers, actually. Um, we kind of, I think the new person didn't realize how, um, remote workers work around here. Why don't you walk us through what that, what that all entailed? Like you, it took a whole week. So there was a lot of activity going on. (laughs) I felt like not much was going on from from a remote perspective for sure. Um, the I remember the last day there was this uh, it was like a science fair thing where you were supposed to walk around to the different rooms and see what they were going to be working on. And I'm like, how am I going to do that? I don't. And we were given no direct on like how to do that remotely. Um, whereas you know every conference room actually has uh, you know a video chat system. Um, but we didn't, we weren't really included very well there. So I'm sure I have, I'm feeling this worse as a remote worker, which is probably about 
a quarter of our our developers. Um, I'm definitely feeling it more than probably the people that were actually there. Well, what else? What were the other activities that uh, went on during this planning um, increment? The, there was some talking to other teams and trying to understand what they were working on. That's definitely definitely helpful there. Um, I mean, how did it get started? Can you like walk us through like day one, day two for people um, that haven't done it before? It, it's been a little while, so I don't recall uh, a lot of the details. Uh, we had like kickoff meeting. It was just you were kind sleeping. of blah, blah. Just admit uh, it. You fell yeah. asleep. Basically, it was remote boring. worker fell asleep. Hey, it was boring. Like, and especially when you're not included as the remote folks, uh, makes it hard to, it does really make it hard to keep up with what's going on. I mean, typically the ones that I've, the, the, the sessions like this that I've been involved in start off with somebody who's usually like, the chief product owner person and they get up in front of everybody and, and they start off with like, here's the vision for whatever the increment is in your case, a quarter. Here's what our vision is. Here's what we want to accomplish. Here's what we're planning to release at the end of the increment. And then you would have sub product owners or business analysts or technical leads, people like that who are going to be working with the, uh, the different teams in this configuration. They'll also get up there and talk about, what work they're going to be doing again, it's sort of a high level and walk everybody through it. So everybody hears the vision for the increment. They hear essentially a high level description of what each team is going to be doing, what they're going to be delivering. And then after that, you start to have your breakout sessions where each team takes their set of features away that they're going to deliver during the increment or that it's proposed for them to deliver during that increment. And they go and you start to break them down into stories. And then there's some sort of a sharing thing that happens at the very end. Like you're mentioning, you guys did science fair. I've seen other uh, examples where people, it's more, it's again, more of a walkthrough where people get up in front of the group and they're like, here's what this team is planning to do and discussing their dependencies. And of course, I forgot to mention like all along the way, as teams are working on breaking down their features into stories, if they identify dependencies, they'll usually go to somebody who's responsible for creating like a map of all of the dependencies across the increment. And they'll catalog all of those so that they, they diagram it or document it anyway. And then again, all of that stuff is presented back to the group in some fashion at the end of the planning session. If you do it really well, you can knock the whole thing out in a day, maybe two. Right. Uh, maybe if you're new to it, it takes four or five days. Yeah, that, that would um, be pretty damn tough, though, on you. I think. Yeah, it it really was, and it really hurt morale a ton. And actually, we, even before that, we knew it was coming up, so we kind of um, were sort of um, directionless for a few weeks before the 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 kickoff of that program increment. So, um, you know, first thing that happens is basically to to take a big hit to morale. Um, and then like your description of, of that was, was probably what it was supposed to be like, but like add about, you know, 75% chaos to that. And that's more of like what we ended up with. Do you think that that chaos Craig came from, did you only feel that or did the, the people, cause I could see that from a remote perspective. It's a yeah. very, it's a very in-person activity. 
And I don't know that there's a, there's a real good way to do it unless you do it remote first where it's like everybody's remote, you know? Um, if you have people in person, it just makes it, it makes it really, uh, exclusionary to the remote people. Yeah. Our individual squads do a great job of, of basically being remote first, even though, uh, probably only about half of us are remote. Um, so I, a lot of it was we really didn't get any sort of training on what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and, and the general consensus I heard was that it was, uh, chaotic, confusing, um, but probably twice as much though for, for remote folks. And, and I have talked to, um, some managers about seeing if we could bring people, um, in for the next program recommend planning session. Um, but apparently I believe that same VP said, well, we're, uh, our, our dev labor is 21% and, uh, we need to keep that at 20%. So we can't, we can't allow that. <laughs> so you guys did this without any, without anybody being an expert in, I believe that VP is, it? but, uh, yeah. you know, he's, there's probably a hundred plus developers and plus, uh, uh, program managers and product owners. And all of these people, over a hundred people participated in this increment session. Yep. Wow. <laughs> it's a bit much for starting, I think. Like, uh, definitely not uh, not starting small and working your way up. Well, especially when people haven't aren't familiar with it, right? That's yeah, yeah. And there, there was a lot of not understanding what's going on and and how. What we're, I mean, a lot of even what are we supposed to be doing now? So, um, John, maybe this is a question for you. Uh, for those of us who haven't lived in a scaled agile world, could you give a general breakdown of what scaled agile is supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like? Sure. I mean, I'm certainly no, I don't have a license, Amos. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not a licensed, uh, practitioner. I am more proud of you in this moment than I ever have been. <laughs> It, it, I think it, sir, it, it intends to solve some of the things that, that Craig called out specifically around the, the managing of, of these dependencies. And these are it, oftentimes I feel like um, to, in, in terms of that, this is very just heavy weight again for, so a lot of my, I apologize, I'm sort of fumbling around here, but a lot of my, a gut reaction and emotion to scaled agile sort of leaking into into my description because I feel like in a lot of ways it's it's generally an anti pattern. Um, but it, you know when you get a group that starts to exceed you know twenty or so people that are all working on the same product, uh, it, it's just it just starts to get really hard to tease apart some of the dependencies. And that often is very much dependent on how things are put together. Frankly, um, if you if you have a monolithic backend, you know it's it's hella hard to try and have multiple people having their hands in the code. Uh, if you're integrating with a legacy system, if you um, it, you know if you just have if you just have a lot of cruft out there that you maybe don't have direct control 
over. So there, there are reasons why you sort of have to deal with it because, or there could also be dependencies where you, you, you're depending on, on people that are not agile. Um, again, a legacy system or an external system and things like that. And so you're counting on these people to, to deliver something uh, at a particular point in time. And then you're taking your groups and, and marshalling them around that particular deliverable as, as the key dependency that you, you base everything on. Uh, So it's a way it's, it's intended to be a way to divvy up work uh, at, at scale large number of people um, with with clear identification of dependencies and ultimately there you know there is some of this wanting to have that predictability that Craig talked about again i still think that just because y'all say it's going to be done on a particular date that's doesn't mean it's going to happen the hope uh has always been i think with this is that if you break the work down into small enough increments, small enough units, that you can you can at least get a team to say, this is that whole trade-off between speed and predictability. You can get a team to say, what are what are you? I don't care that you, you how much you can really get done, but tell me what you're willing to 100% commit to, and ah. and, and you'll say we're going to get this no kidding. We'll get this done. And then, you know, what can you commit to with 90% certainty, et cetera, so that you have like some, some stretch targets. I, I, I hate it too. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's a farce um, to, to try to do that in that way. But I think that's what ultimately what a lot of people are looking to try and get out of the, out, out of, scaled agile and get out of those activities. I probably should have started with this premise. Scaled agile is neither scaled nor agile. Um, <laughs> I mean, so why? It, 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 yeah, exactly. And, 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 and I see good things in there. Like the predictability is, is useful and trying to get um, a more formal process to, to understand the dependencies and to get the, the business requirements in you know, as quick as possible, early as possible. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like it's agile because it's not applying any of the agile principles beyond where they've already been applied, that we're already applying them. And it doesn't seem to be scaled because it's not actually taking agile principles and, and applying them to any larger um, sense. I, I mean, I see what, I hear what you're saying. The, the, and you're, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there, but I, it's trying it's trying to be less evil than <laughs> than waterfall at scale you know so uh, being able to have again 20 plus you know up to 50 100 mm-hmm. in theory people but i really really believe that if you have people who understand agility and understand architecture and understand good engineering practices that and you know, you're not dealing with all a lot of crap that I was mentioning, like dependencies that are outside of your control, uh, code that you don't own, those sorts of things. That if you can, if you control all of the all of the things within your architectural stack, 
and it's been done well, you should really be able to break up into a set of feature teams that can deliver iteratively and incrementally and continuously without screwing everyone else up. It's going to take work and it's not going to be simple, but it's work that's well worth it. So, so how do you, how do you start down that path? If you, if you are staring at your organization and running into the problems that scaled agile framework is supposed to help, how how do you start your your group down that path? A lot of it depends on where you are in the journey. Like if you're in the midst of something, um, you have to dig out of the hole that you're in. And a lot of times that might be breaking down your architecture into a way that will better align to feature teams. And that all, might also mean that you have to mix up your existing teams to say, okay, these people are no longer just focusing on the API. You know, they're going to now take a feature and they're going to work on the front end, the, all the middle pieces, all the way down to the, the, the bare metal or whatever they have to do, all the way through the stack, right? Thin vertical slice sort of thing. And they're going to own all of that stuff from top to bottom. Um, but but you, again, you might have to tear old things out. You might have to reorganize your teams. If you're starting from the beginning, then you, you start small. You use good architectural practices. You don't accumulate a lot of tech debt. And you scale your organization by adding feature teams, not by... Um, not by creating hors- not not by dividing the work up horizontally and saying, "Hey, we're going to have front end engineers, we're going to have middleware people, we're going to have back end people." So, no. So, what is a feature team? I go over it again. I mean, a feature team <laughs> takes a feature from a thin vertical slice perspective, meaning it cuts across the entire technology stack that you use. And and they're solely responsible for the delivery of that feature. But so it's not long lasting though. Then it can be, um, or it, or it doesn't have to be. It can last as long as the feature lasts, or you can continually replenish feature work into that feature team. It just depends on okay how much uh, you want to, you know, how how long your features are. But generally speaking, they they stay together through features sort of into perpetuity unless you really are required to move people around in order to satisfy unique technical technical skill based constraints across the teams so um I, i'm going to i'm going to try to be devil's advocate here and have at least somebody that'll argue on the scaled agile framework even though to be uh completely upfront i've never done it and so this is going off of book learning. Um, <laughs> so uh, Scaled Agile basically tries to, from what I can tell, apply the, the ideas of what worked on a small scale into a larger scale. So, for example, uh, at the program level, you might have a Kanban board that, and uh, you would set up uh, for the, you would have iterations. Of course, those iterations are now program iterations. That's that PI planning thing that, that's done every once in a while that, uh, uh, that Craig talked about. Um, and so you would define whatever your iterations are, a quarter or whatever. 
And then you would have a planning for the, the program every quarter. And at the program level, you'd set up objectives for that particular iteration. And then everybody kind of uh, plans to figure out what from their local area that means. And the stuff that, that John's talking about of um, having your feature teams, there's nothing in Scaled Agile that says you can't do that. In fact, it would probably be encouraged. Um, and they, they uh, Scaled Agile would definitely want you to be as, uh, to apply all that, all those Agile principles that you, that you know of. But there are also these safe principles. So the safe principles, just to do them quickly, are take an economic view, apply systems thinking, assume variability. Uh, gee, like we haven't heard that one before. Um, build incrementally uh, with fast integrated learning cycles. Base milestones on objective evaluation of working systems. Uh, visualize and limit WIP. Apply cadence, synchronize with cross-domain planning. Unlock the intrinsic motivation of knowledge workers and decentralize decision-making. Those are the, are the principles. So beyond, uh, beyond that, all the stuff that you guys are talking about may be the same reason why people hate Agile uh-huh. is because yeah. people are, are, yeah, it's because people are taking that and, and bastardizing it. And, and, uh, so is that what's happening here is that some guy thinks he knows uh, what scaled agile is and he's applying it in a really bad way. The execution is wrong. I, I feel like the only agile I've ever seen work well is, is very, uh, extreme programming based. Um, I, I guess some things added from probably lean manufacturing, lean programming. But, uh, the, the thing that seems to work most successfully everywhere I've seen that it works is, uh, is extreme programming. But I didn't, I didn't hear anything in safe that, go, that doesn't go hand in hand with everything that I've seen in extreme programming. True. If, if it was done, you know, well, yeah, um, I'm just going off those principles. <laughs> like, I, I, well, yeah. Um, I, really the only time I've seen agile scale well is when people that are doing it well take it to, to other parts of the organization. Well, I think that's that's less of scaling and it's more of like um uh, it's I more don't know. organic. It's like a infestation. Like a, <laughs> yeah, like a more organic growth, you know? Yeah, growth. It grow it grows. It 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 lives. Uh, it, yeah. Multiplies thrives. multiplies throughout the throughout the company. And I appreciate Lee taking the um the very textbook based approach to kind of run us through. Well, I think it's important yeah, I, to, to run through the the base principles and, and really fairly assert and and put forth what you know pure the pure scaled agile stuff says so that we're not just basing it on on a bad experience that Craig has had. Yeah, and and honestly, had they started, you know, talking about those things before we got even started with the planning, that probably would have helped quite a bit. It all goes back to communication, right, Amos? It's it's yep. it's always communication and trust. <laughs> we should we should change the name of the podcast probably to to this trusting life or something like that. <laughs> Perfect. This communi- this communicating life. 
Craig, is there more you wanted to peel the onion on? Uh, scaled agile. No, I think I think uh, so, I, I've I've helped myself understand sort of where my own thinking has gone wrong and and how I, uh, the next program increment uh, maybe I can be more effective myself. So, so you started this by saying that you you've noticed anti patterns over the years of transformations and how they go. So, I want to go back and and say what are the what are the ways to improve on that what are the good patterns it's easy to say what we're doing wrong but what what can we do better um i i think i've mentioned the the main things about as far as scaling which is you know just sort of uh ground up grassroots types of things have have always worked better from my point of view um but maybe that's because that's the the, the level i'm at and 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 I'm always going to see that more things at that level, um, or or the things that uh, I do at my level are going to have a better impact on on my own well being. I, I guess what I was thinking is more of a management level because I know you said that, and you also said that XP practices are what you've seen be successful. But at a management level, wanting to bring something like this in, what are the what are the the best practices in in bringing this in? So I guess one is make sure that starting as a grassroots thing, like try to try to get it started there, not pushing yeah, down. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, get buy in from all the, all the people that are going to be actually doing the work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the key. And, and that is definitely a, uh, a good indicator of, of how successful you're going to be is how much buy in you get from the people doing the actual work. Um, you know, I don't have much experience from the, the vice president level looking down, so I can't, stay much from that level um from from the the sort of project management and and management level uh product owner level what what i've seen work best is having um a, a single point of contact for you know a given business unit um and and that person being a, a good gatekeeper of um sharing information with the team um making sure that the developers get involved early enough so they can help solve problems instead of presenting them with a, here's the solution we'd like. That's really awful, but Hey, we've already committed to this. Um, so, so getting, yeah, again, it's a lot of communication involved involving, uh, the people that are doing the actual work and, and the, the customers. Um, that, that is where agile, no matter how good I've seen, it's always the the thing that's lacking the most is how much contact do I have with with people that are customers or at least very close to them. So, Craig, I know that you also uh, wanted to talk a little bit about a recent experience that you had with someone um, who you know who who. Uh, I don't know how much you want you want to say about what the, sure. the arrangements I'll, are, but I, I just yeah. want to say that we, yeah. we've started talking off mic. My daughter, my oldest daughter, just recently graduated from cosmetology school, and then you're like, "Oh, hey, I got a friend that is a hairstylist," and then there's so, a story. So yeah, so uh, this friend was over um, one night, and she was kind of talking about her job, and um, yeah, so she works for a, a large. Um, like hair care and cosmetics uh, retailer and she's a hairstylist. Um, and so not only does she know cut and style hair, but, um, she also has to take care of the, uh, 
the retail products around that part of the store. Um, but that's actually not what she does most of her, her time at work. So she, she actually only uh, styles hair one day a week. Um, but the, the other four days a week, I, I learned she's basically an agile coach for hairstylists, which I just blew my mind. I'm like, and as she was explaining, you know, her job, I, it just kept more and more seeing, sounding like that's what she does. And it just blew me away. Um, so she does a lot of training of, of hairstylists, especially the newer folks. Um, and, um, the, the most interesting part was though, um, a lot of newer hairstylists just want to do the hair cutting, right. Uh, and coloring and, and, and that kind of thing. And they, they're like, well, I, I shouldn't have to sell, you know, brushes or whatever. And she says, well, you know, we have 1500 people a month walking in the store. These are your future, uh, clients and learning how to, how to take that person that's coming in just was at their own hairstylist and didn't get something there, didn't get a need met there. Um, and then taking that need and, and turning it into, Oh, well I can help you. And, and here, let me put you in my chair and, and sort of building that trust and that relationship, um, to, to make them, uh, to sell them to be a client was just amazing to me. Um, and it didn't feel like all salesy. It was just saying, Hey, here's the reality of the situation is this person is here for a reason and you can actually take advantage of that. Not, not necessarily in the bad way, um, to, to gain a client, uh, and you know, to, to, uh, to, to have a win-win situation there. So what were some of the, you, you mentioned this example, but could you give a few more examples of some of the things that your friend doing this, this job as a, as a hairstylist and this, these other things, how does that, uh, how do, how do those things that, that this person was doing relate to responsibilities that, a that an agile player coach might have, meaning somebody that is a, is an agilist, they're a, a sort of an expert in agile methodologies, but they're also in the trenches as a developer every day. Right. So, um, like I said, a lot of it, a lot of training. So I think she probably does training, uh, classes at least two days a week. Um, she works at a, a lot of different stores and actually okay, tra- training. Hold, hold, hold on on training a second. So in, uh, like classroom based training, that's great. What about like, um, pairing or mentoring or exactly. She does that sort of in the stores, uh, next to them as they're, you know, working through the day. Um, and can, can provide some feedback on, on actual things that she sees in the store. Very cool. Uh, um, she does, uh, she can keep track of metrics like, ah, here's metrics. The, here's, yeah, here's, here's the opportunities you had and, and here's, um, how you were able to follow up on those. Um, she can tell you, you know, how many people walked in the door, how many, uh, people you had sit in the chair, how many people have bought something from that department. Um, that their, their use of metrics is pretty impressive. I, I think the thing that really got through my head was like, how long has this been going on in that industry? Yeah. <laughs> like it's gotta be going on longer than, than, uh, than in our industry. But, but I don't, it didn't seem like it's terribly industry wide either. That sort of, they sort of discovered this kind of thing on their own as well. Um, and having this big retail store with the hairstyling seems to to be a nice um, 
nice fit for for the way they work actually so do they i wonder if they have work in process problems like what what if you got three hair <laughs> three hairdos going at one time you know how do you manage the, your work uh, in process she mentioned something about that she's like well if you get uh, an assistant actually you can have two or three going at a time and you know you're paying the assistant not so much and you but you're billing out a, a pretty good rate for, the, for those two or three customers so that's basically how amos's business model uh-huh basically yeah <laughs> <laughs> have you, someone else do the work and you get paid you mean hire craig <laughs> arbitrage <laughs> All right. Well, I think so, we'll, maybe. Oh, sorry, Craig. Did you have more? I was going to end I, it there and I, go I, on to the. I, I just want to say I, I feel like there's a lot more I have to learn from her, and and that's a pretty awesome thing when when it's such a different industry, um, but but there's things that you can learn from. So you might want to go and actually just watch her work. I, I kind of want to. It, yeah, it is. I, I've done that with people from other industries. Uh, and have been really impressed at what you can learn in our own industry. Uh, some of the best are uh, that I've actually sat and watched were um, like sales, but like sales at a retail store kind of place, like what you're talking about, and seeing how they interact with customers. And then taking that back and using the same things that they're using to interact with teams or your own clients. Yeah, just how to deal with clients is something that we could definitely use more of. And again, we actually need to interact with clients and customers more. Yeah, and, and sometimes how to be and not necessarily um, salesy, because I think that that's really obvious to people and it comes off smarmy and it feels like yeah. used car salesy, mm-hmm. right? But that having that consultant attitude, if you will, yeah, where, yeah. where it's like, yeah, I can cut your hair like that, but I'm an expert in cutting hair. And I've seen a lot of people that have hair like you, that have a face like you, that have a head like you, you know, all the things that would affect what makes a hairstyle look good. And I can give you that haircut and I can do the best version of that haircut, but it's just not going to look good on you. And maybe you'd be, you'd be happier with this other style haircut, you know, that sort of thing. And not just being an order taker, but, but really giving people consultation advice. See, it, it's not, from the way she described it, it sounds like she's a problem solver. What That was kind of the, the key. It, it cracks me up that you brought up the getting, I, I guess it was haircuts, what we were talking about, but because of my experience as a consultant, I actually go to a barber and I just say, make, make me look good. Although last, me beautiful. last time I went in, I said, make me, my, my wife told me before I left, make sure that your hair doesn't look like Trump's when you get back. <laughs> and so, uh, and hey. so, so that's what I told him. And then I was afraid he wasn't going to be able to cut my hair because he was laughing so hard. Uh, I got some bad news, Amos. Huh? Uh, it's not working. I'm not making you look good. Sorry. You don't look like Trump. This week's hottest picks. My pick uh, today is uh, a couple new versions of Git. Um, the biggest change is Git Checkout is being split into two separate pieces, which I don't recall off the top of my head what they are, but um, some big changes. Like you can still use Git Checkout, um, but you can also use these new tools um, to help you uh, understand what's going on better. 
Um, I will link to a couple articles uh, with the highlights from the last couple versions of Git. That's all I got today. All right, Lee, what's your pick? Well, since we were talking about scaled agile, uh, I did run across a uh, an article uh, on uh, QASymphony.com about the pros and cons of scaled agile. So I put that on the show notes, and hopefully that can uh, give you a balanced sort of impression. Fair and balanced, just like Fox News here on this Agile Life. <laughs> well, yeah, not not that fair and balanced. Okay. Sorry. I hope I didn't lose any listeners with that. Uh, my pick is a shameless plug for a new podcast that I've been doing with a friend of mine, Micah Bays. He and I are talking about a book. The name of the book is called Principles. Uh, the author is a guy named Ray Dalio. And the name of the podcast is Dalio's Principles, a Philosophical Examination. I'd love it if you check it out, give it a listen, rate us on iTunes, tell your friends. Amos, what's your pick? All right, I've I've changed it four times since you've been talking, uh, but I, I've settled now. I, I recently got a two sets of Rocketbook beacons, and I don't know if anybody has Rocketbook. Those are cool. Uh, but the beacons are really awesome. Uh, they are little triangles, suction cups. You get four of them. You put them on the edge of your whiteboard and you use the Rocketbook app on your phone. And it will scan just the whiteboard and block everything else out. It darkens the text up, can make it into PDFs. You can have it drop it into different folders in Google uh, Drive or emails. Uh, it'll also do OCR on all the text. So your images are searchable. Uh, and you can also put up a web page, give somebody a web page URL, and um, then you just like while you're drawing, you can just lift up your phone. It'll scan it really fast, and it automatically updates the web page while they're watching. It's been really great for remote work. Wow, technology! Yeah, they're like fifteen bucks too, super cheap. So we need an affiliate link so you can make some money off of that, right? All right, those are our picks. That's the show. Thanks for listening and keep living this Agile life. This Agile life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.